Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. sisters and welcome to our show. Today's discussion is one we've been promising for a long time. So many members of our community of, are we what, 60,000 now? Just about. Just about 60,000 have written to us about driving anxiety. So many have written about it that we decided to dedicate a full podcast just to this issue. It's so widespread. What we're talking about is something called veophobia. V-E-H-O-phobia. And that means fear of driving of all types. According to the ADAA, which is the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, the top driving fears are, in this order, number one, past traumas or accidents. Uh, In a recent Canadian study, they found that up to 33% of accident victims develop a driving phobia after. Which makes so much sense because... So many people write to us and say that they had a, a serious accident or even sometimes a moderate accident and they now have a major phobia mm-hmm. of driving. And the second most common driving fear is driving to someplace unfamiliar. And that's also, we hear that all the time. We hear from so many people that can drive locally, even if they don't love it, but the idea of going someplace that they don't know that's a little further away becomes really, really frightening for them. Yeah, they think, what if I get lost? What if I run out of gas? What if my cell phone doesn't work? What if no one can come help me? Yeah, yeah, or, you know, if I have an anxiety attack and I'm far away. Right. It's just scary for many different reasons. And speaking of anxiety attacks, that's the third top driving fear is actually having an anxiety or panic attack while driving or while in traffic. And since I've had that, I can tell you it's not that much fun. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I myself have me? not had that, but I have been in the car with you when you have, and, and it is really not fun. Not fun. Uh, not fun for the person having the attack and not fun for the person witnessing it. Yes, <laughs> yes. The fourth top driving fear, according to the ADAA, is going too fast or losing control. And this one I can so relate to because I I remember that feeling of being on the highway and feeling like my car was out of control. Even though I wasn't speeding, even just going at a normal speed felt to me like my car was going out of control. And we do have a lot of anxiety sisters who won't drive on highways. Many, many, many. Right. And the last top driving fear, number five, is probably what's underneath most phobias, and that is the fear of death. Right. Uh, it seems as though people with viaphobia have often really vivid images in their mind of f- fatal crashes. And yes. They can often be very gruesome and, and vivid and can really yes. trigger a lot of anxiety. Yeah, and that's, that's part of the reason probably why... So many people are also afraid of those big trucks on the highway. Oh, God. You I'm know, afraid of those, and I don't have a driving phobia. Well, obviously, there's, there's many, many reasons that someone can be afraid to drive, but those are the main ones. So this results in anything from just a hesitation to get in a car, mm-hmm. 
or some mild to moderate anxiety every time one gets in a car. Uh, and it could go all the way to total refusal to drive, where you know we have a lot of anxiety sisters who just simply don't do it. Right. We have a lot of anxiety sisters that don't drive at all. So, we have a lot who only drive locally. They can do local errands or local school runs or right. go to their office, but they cannot sort of go past a certain point. And I have a couple of friends with driving phobias who will not drive highways. Oh, that is so one find of the most local common. routes, even if it takes an extra hour, they find the local routes and they will drive on non-highway roads. Exactly. That's that's definitely true. Obviously there's lots of reasons to treat this phobia, but the first reason to treat it is because you can. It really is something that's treatable, and we know this because our mags <laughs> over here who really had a severe case of viophobia for many, many years. How many years did you have it for? I don't know. What do you think? I got wow. it in my, got it sometime in my 20s. I Early 20s. Yeah. Probably almost 10 years. Oh, probably longer than okay. that. So more I, than a decade of viophobia. Well, I lived in New York City for part of it, so it was, um, I didn't have to go in the car all the time, but when I was in a car. Yes, I know. You know, from your wedding I, day. I, I was know. driving you in the car. Yes, it was was both when I was driving and and especially when someone else was driving too, or driving in the rain or... And what and what Maggie defined as rain was literally one drop from a sprinkler that she hits the She didn't really get my phobia at the time. I was She's... not as sensitive as I am now and no. I just could not get it and, well, it was my wedding day. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, we're here to tell you that Mags, who really did have a severe driving phobia for at least a decade, now is fully recovered from that particular phobia. I really am and I, I drive... In fact, she drives... Everywhere. She'll, when we have to go someplace really far away that's like a 10 or 12 hour drive for her, she's like, oh, I'll just drive. I don't need to fly. She loves it. Yes. It's, now I actually find driving relaxing. Which is so crazy because she really had such a severe phobia. So there is hope. If you are feeling like there's absolutely no hope for you and you're, and, and you're so frustrated and you're feeling so badly about it, listen to the rest of this podcast because I think Mags will give you a lot of hope. And I would not have believed that she could be the kind of driver she is today. I mean, she loves highways and... Uh, well, you know. do you remember one time I was driving to see you at your grandmother's in New, Jer- in New Jersey and it should have been an hour or an hour and a half drive from my parents' house and it took me seven and a half hours. Remember I showed up in the middle of the night? Oh yeah, what was that about? Because it was, it started to rain, which really oh. made it worse. But even despite the rain, I didn't know where I was going. It was on the highway because it was in New Jersey. There was I'm not a lot of choice. We agreed to do this. I had to get off the road about every 15, 20 minutes. That's why it literally took me seven and a half hours to go what should have been an hour, an hour and a half. Wow. And your grandmother at one point said to me, just turn around and go home. And I just sort of knew that I had to get there. Yeah. You know, I knew I, I, I just said, no, 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 I really want to get there. But you did more than get there, because even though for many, many years you suffered from this, I just want to repeat again that you are very comfortable behind the wheel of a car now, yeah. going, going unfamiliar places. You just came back from a, you drove to Minnesota. Yeah, Ohio. I drove from Ohio to You didn't know where you were going. Minnesota. You were fine with it. Yep. You, and you drove from uh, Jersey City back to your home in Ohio uh, a few no, months I, ago. No, I, I like, can pretty much drive anywhere now. Yeah, in, rain, snow, sun. Just, yeah. You, know, you could basically be a, a post officer. <laughs> yes, I, I am very, very comfortable driving now, but it took a very long time and a lot of work. I'm just telling you that. 
So the first reason to think about treating the phobia is because it can be done and you can experience recovery. The second reason and the most important one is something, those of you who listen to us podcast a lot or who have been to our website and on our blogs know that we talk about shrinking world syndrome or SWS, which is, what is it, Mags? Well, that's when your anxiety starts making decisions for you. And so little by little, you start noticing that your world is getting a little bit smaller or a lot smaller based on your anxiety. You make decisions based on your anxiety. So in other words, if you decide that you are too anxious to get into a car, then obviously the radius of your yes. physical life is smaller because you can only go as far as you can get on foot, bicycle, or public transportation. Or someone else taking someone you. Else taking you know, or if you decide you can't be on highways. I mean, you know... Everything limits you a little bit, at least. We oh, totally gosh. get it. It's not your fault. That's one thing we want to say. No, it's an anxiety disorder. And just like we say, it's a brain illness. And so it can't be your fault if you're suffering from panic disorder or OCD or PTSD. It's the same, the same is true for phobias. Any phobia, whether it be driving or needles or bugs or clowns or anything else, it's not your fault. This is your brain. This is your brain functioning incorrectly. A lot of people write to us and they feel guilty because you know maybe that they're caregiving some other people and they can't take their kids on a trip or they can't pick up their mother from the doctor, whatever the issues are. And we just wanna say, it's really not your fault. You're not a bad person and you're not weak because no, you have phobias this. Phobias are not character traits. These are not character flaws. You didn't do anything wrong, but we're here to tell you that there's treatment. And there's the treat help. There's help out there. There's treatment, and you can get better on this one. Some anxiety disorders are much more difficult to treat. Right. I think that driving phobias is one where we can really be encouraged. From the statistics out there, for people that seek treatment, there's a lot, there's a high recovery rate. From my own experience, you really can get to the place where driving doesn't give you anxiety. It's just it takes a long time, and it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. No, but, it's not easy. Yeah. It's definitely not an easy road, but it's definitely worthwhile because then your, your world can grow again. So for those of you who don't really know Mag's venophobia story, would you share it with them, Mag? Sure. Like so many of you, I was in a few situations where I wasn't actually the driver, I was a passenger, where cars spun out of control in the rain. One was on a highway and one was on a more local street, and luckily everyone was okay. But that sort of, that happened in my very early 20s and that started my fear of driving in the rain. Because after that, especially after spinning out on a highway, all of a sudden I became very, very frightened when we were driving and it was raining. And it was just the rain at first, really. And then it sort of expanded to other situations. Then it was driving on the highway became scary to me. Then it was driving in anything less than optimal weather, anything less than like perfect weather. Then it was driving sometimes on really sunny days because I couldn't see or I got a headache. It just sort of kept getting larger, this phobia. And I definitely, a lot of you say you're okay when you're driving and have a phobia when someone else is driving. And I definitely understand that too because it wasn't any better as passenger or whether I was driving. It actually didn't make that much of a difference. 
So it was like, like many phobias, it kind of starts small and then begins to get bigger and bigger. And like I said, I was living in New York City at the time. So on a daily basis, I did not need my car. But a lot of times I would be out of the city or we'd be visiting relatives or I'd want to go see someone outside the city. And, you know, all of a sudden I realized that it was becoming more and more difficult for me to to do that. I was starting to think about like, oh, do I really want to go visit Abby or my mother or, you know, another friend or do I want to, my husband wants to go for away for the weekend. Do I really want to go away for the weekend because I'll have to be in the car and what if the weather isn't good? Well, in all fairness, if Paul's driving, I really don't want to go for the weekend either. <laughs> you know, so I was in all these different situations where I really wasn't sure whether it was worth doing something because it meant being in a car. So you had SWS. So I really started to have SWS. I mean, all of a sudden my phobias were spreading to other areas too, but that's for another show. But even just in terms of driving, I really started to have SWS. What made you decide to get help? I think what made me decide to get help was, first of all, I was in a state of starting to get other phobias too. So I think what made me decide to get help was I was away for a weekend in the Berkshires with my mom and my husband. And, you know, we were having a nice weekend and it was, it was rainy though. It was like a rainy weekend and we were driving home and I literally, that drive home, I white knuckled it the entire way mm. to the point where we got home, you know, it's like a three hour drive. We get home and the only thing I could do is get into bed for the rest of the day after a three hour drive. I, I just thought I can't go back into a car. What made me finally get help was, this is kind of a famous story I tell. I was on my way to my friend Wendy's black tie wedding in Boston. A friend I like I liked quite a bit and you know this was this big wedding she was having and my husband and I rented a car for it because we didn't we were in New York City we didn't own a car we rented this beautiful car and decided to drive to Boston and I thought I had the stomach flu I was sort of white knuckling it in the car and nauseous and sick to my stomach my husband was driving we kept having to stop. We might have stopped in the first hour about three or four times because I, I was so sick. Finally, I just said, I, I guess I'm getting sick. We got to turn around and go home. I can't go the rest of the way. You didn't know it was your phobia. I knew it and I didn't know it, I guess. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel real that it could be a phobia. Causing you know? all those physical symptoms. Yes, yeah. yeah it, this must be a stomach flu, even though this wasn't the first time I've had it. Mm -hmm. So we, we literally decided at some point, it was crazy, we just decided to turn around the car. Within five minutes of turning around the car, I, was a, I started to be a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Like just the thought that we were fairly close to the city, because remember, we kept stopping. Right. So the idea that you were going home. The idea that I was going home and that... Probably if we didn't stop, we could be home in a half an hour. We've been in the car for like an hour and a half, but we could be, we really were just in Westchester. We right. could be home in a half an hour. I was completely fine by the time we got home. But of course not willing to get back in the car. But not willing to get back in the car and I missed that wedding. 
Uh-huh. And we're not friends with Wendy anymore. I'm not friends with Wendy anymore. <laughs> she was not too thrilled with me because she was kind of saying to me, well, like, are you in the hospital? Do you have a fever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people who don't suffer from anxiety disorders don't understand. Yeah. And there, yeah. there was an example of a friendship that was lost because of that. Yeah. And I think at the time, I didn't quite understand either which yeah. is really hard. Now, I, I can't say that was the moment I decided to get help because this lasted for a long time after that, but that was definitely something that stayed with me. The exhaustion. Now, I remember you saying it. to me on the phone, I can't believe I can't go to a wedding. I can't believe I can't get to my friend's wedding. Right, and it wasn't the last time I couldn't get someplace yeah. at all, someplace important to me. So I, I don't actually know if I had a day where I was like, I'm gonna get help. But, but your world was starting to my shrink. My world and you was were shrinking it. a lot, a lot. Yeah. So then, let's talk about how how you got help. What kinds of treatment and tools did you use to, okay. to get help? Well, this is what worked for me, and there's a lot of different treatments we're going to talk about. But yeah, well, start with telling everybody uh, what worked for you, and okay. then we'll go through them. Okay, that's okay. fair enough. Okay, so what I did was I went to I was already in therapy believe it or not. So I was, I was in weekly therapy for many years and had a wonderful therapist who helped me in many ways, but I needed more targeted help with this phobia issue. I was telling my actual, my GP about some of my phobias and how, how terrible I was feeling, particularly about the driving phobia. And she sent me to a psychiatrist that specialized in anxiety disorders. He was a behavioral therapist. Mm. So he wasn't, I know a lot of people have heard of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is sort of changing of how you think about something to change your behavior. This guy actually wasn't a cognitive behavioral therapist. He was a behavioral therapist, which, so with phobias, he was just focused on the behavior. Okay. It was not about what you were thinking, it no, was about what no. you were doing. It was about what you were doing, not what you were thinking. And basically, he said to me, you need to get into the car every day and just drive. No matter what the weather, if it's raining, I really want you in the car. I couldn't really do that, honestly, with my life. I'm just telling you the truth. But I tried to, most days, get in the car. And his theory was you have to do it for an hour. Were you on any kind of medication? Well, here was the thing is when I started with him, he put me on medication. Okay, I hadn't been before. So he put me on an SSRI on Zoloft. Right, which we've talked to many times. It's your typical antidepressant like Prozac. It's, you take it every day. It every I also at the time was on Xanax, which is a benzodiazepine, and you take that as needed. And what I found was, since it made me a little bit, it could make me a tiny bit tired or less alert, I would take very, very small amounts. But on the days I was gonna drive, I would take tiny amounts, maybe like a quarter of a pill, but I'd take it throughout the day. What I was trying to do was keep my system, this I learned from a social work professor, was to keep my system calm. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than take a very, very pill. tiny little bit, just enough to take the edge off and keep it going. Right. Sometimes I wouldn't even feel the tiny bit, but I didn't want to be too tired right. or too out of it to drive. Correct. So I was trying to keep my body calm during the day and then be able to go and drive. And he had me start. He sort of didn't wait till the medication kicked in. He had me start immediately because his, his feeling was if you could do an hour, you could, you could sort of get through a panic attack. 
Right. Now, I, as a listener, I'm thinking to myself, an hour sound. If I'm if I am afraid to get in a car, an hour sounds like a really really long time. Could you start? Yes. With so 15 I, minutes. Or I 10 did not minutes? start with an hour, even though he wanted me okay. to. Because <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, if I have a phobia, just doing it for an hour feels like that's more than I could even handle. Right. So I started doing it sometimes for 10 minutes, just because. For me to pull out of the driveway in my in New York City took me ten minutes, but <laughs> and I started only on streets that I would feel fairly comfortable on. Streets you go very very slowly on for me. Neighborhood streets, and sometimes it would be ten minutes, and then I'd go back in. That's that's what I could do that day, and it was it was very slowly that I started to build up. Okay, and it seems like if you're in a car for ten or fifteen minutes. It wouldn't be enough time to have to develop a full-blown anxiety attack, whereas an hour you might. Like, I I actually might. could do it. Oh, you, could, you could get there. I could get there. <laughs> I could actually get there. But I, what I did for a while, I built up to an hour, but I did it on local streets where I wasn't as afraid because you because you couldn't go very fast. Right. So even if I had to drive like sort of around the block, that's what I would do. Okay. And I built up to an hour just doing that. And then when I was there, I I sort of moved out from that space to maybe doing it in the rain. Same okay. thing, but in the rain, and it was a slow buildup. So uh, let's say, how, how long did that process take from the first day of 15 minutes to when you could take a, a half an hour, 45 minute drive and not have severe anxiety? Oh, oh, well, no, 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 that's the wrong question. Okay, <laughs> tell me the right okay. question. Okay, the right question is how long did it take me to be able to drive for about an hour, forget not having the severe anxiety. Okay, but to be of, able to do it. To be able to do it with severe anxiety was probably five or six months. Okay, so it's a long process. It was a long process, and like I said, by this time I had some medication in me, mm-hmm. but I still had a lot of anxiety, and particularly in places that would trigger me, mm-hmm. like the rain or on a highway. Got it. But I kept working on it even when I could do it. But there was a difference between how you felt even when you were having your anxiety in the car at that point versus, let's say, on the way to Wendy's wedding. Well, part you were, In other words, on the way to Wendy's wedding, you were sick. I was... You were physically I, ill. You had to go back home because you were not functioning. You were physically ill. Right. Enough anxiety is decreased so that you can actually do it without being sick. I could do it without being sick, but with extreme anxiety, Fair I enough. have to say. I kept sort of pushing myself forward with the driving, but the extreme anxiety lasted, I would say, for several years. Okay. So I'm, I'm just being honest here that it wasn't like a quick fix in any way. Right. And but, I, the, but the violent stomach issues where you had to pull right. over... You got some relief from that in the first six months. I would say in the first six months, I got relief from that. Okay. That's encouraging for our listeners yeah. to know that, of course, it's baby steps. And of course, you're not going to go from having you know a severe driving phobia to being able to just get in the car and drive. Right. But that it definitely was less. It was, so all of a sudden driving became doable. So I started being able to do it more. And then the phobia would only be really, really bad if it rained. Got it. Or on a highway. You Which know. were really the only times I ever drove with you. Yes. <laughs> so, I, so for me, it felt 
like the process took about 20 years. <laughs> it was raining on, on a highway, and it, and it took me probably longer than it would take most people, because remember, I was living in an urban environment where I really didn't need a car on a daily basis, but I really pushed myself to take out that car. No, as I do. I remember that you did it. I mean, you were pretty committed. I really was committed. And you were working, too, so it was impressive. I was very committed to it, and I would say it probably took a few years before I felt fairly comfortable driving, like that I didn't really have to think about it. Okay. But that's actually not bad. Only a few years. I mean, yeah. especially if you're looking at the rest of your life then. Exactly. Being able to get places. Exactly. And so. then one day I was driving, and... It was raining out, and I realized like I wasn't having any kind of panic attack, or I wasn't even my heart wasn't even racing fast. I didn't even notice. Right. It was just um, raining, and I was like, okay, it's raining. Right. But that was a lot, a lot of days of driving, being uncomfortable. Okay. So let's let's for our audience, let's go over some of the popular treatments and tools, the most widely used and the most successful treatments and tools that we're talking now about something called exposure therapy, right? which is when you expose yourself to whatever it is that you're afraid of in small increments of time, increasingly building up to more and more exposure, correct? Right, and exposure therapy can be done with or without medication. It's a lot harder without medication. I was gonna say, for my, for my fear with flying, I did exposure therapy as well, and I had to have medication. Yes. I could not have done it without medication. Right. I stopped using the medication once I... Yes, you were fine. Once you were I, fine you know, now. now. I'm a fine flyer, but back then, there were two years of, of exposure therapy for me with fear of flying where I absolutely had to take medication every flight. Right. Now, I, I was actually talking to a therapist recently who does exposure therapy um, and, is, and is working on it with a few different people, and she said she can do it with people who can't take medication for one reason or another, it's just much slower mm -hmm. and much more difficult. Right. I'm, I'm sure you have to start really, really small. Right. Very baby, baby, baby steps. Right. So there's exposure therapy and medication. There's also cognitive behavioral therapy, which will do some of the exposure therapy, but they will also focus on sort of how you talk to yourself and what your thoughts how, are. How you think about driving. How you think about driving and they'll challenge some of your thinking that may not be so realistic or maybe more catastrophic thinking. Right. And help you reframe it in addition to the behavioral therapy. And there's hypnosis. I have a neighbor who just finished about three months of hypnosis to get over her driving phobia. She's doing so much better. I mean, you know, she's still anxious, but she is doing so much better. She said the hypnosis was life-saving. Sometimes people who've been in very serious accidents go to um, EMDR. Which is eye movement desensitization and... Reprocessing yes, therapy. Yes. <laughs> um, EMDR, much easier to say. Right, that. and it's usually a... Usually it's a fairly short-term therapy, especially if it's for one trauma, like a, an accident. And in this therapy, kind of what they're trying to do through sometimes eye movements or sounds or is to help things that kind of are buried in your unconscious mm. be able to be brought into words, into your conscious. Mm. They've had good results, particularly when someone's had like one big trauma. Okay. To, to help them. So that, that's an idea. What about things that, um, you know, that I've used in, for my panic disorder, yeah. like biofeedback, tapping, acupuncture, diaphragmatic breathing, all those different ways yes. of lowering arousal and managing your symptoms, right. like your breath and your heart rate. 
I absolutely think those can be incredibly helpful because what you're trying to do is you're trying to keep your whole stress level down. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to keep your, what we call your arousal level right. down. So those are all tools where you can learn to do it absolutely. yourself. I think, I think bio, I'm a huge biofeedback fan. Yeah. It worked really well for me with panic disorder and very quickly too. I mean, I, right. only, I think I only did what, five sessions of biofeedback right. and then I was able to do it on my own and it's not too expensive. There's actually even biofeedback now you can buy for your own computer. Yes. You know, you, and you can do it online. I mean, there's lots of inexpensive ways to do it now. For that's, me, that's, that would be a go-to for me because absolutely. it was so successful in terms of helping me to, like if I had a driving phobia, the way I would have used the biofeedback is I would have sat in the seat of the car with the car off and then I would have done the exercises I had learned in biofeedback so that my heart rate was lowered and my, my respiration was gentle and deep right. and then I was feeling in the most relaxed state that I possibly could before I attempted what would make me so anxious. Absolutely. Hypnosis is, you know, that you mentioned before, is another thing that they really teach you to do it yourself Mm -hmm. so that you can do it as sort of a a relaxation technique, tapping. Mm -hmm. Um, You can find on, you can even find that on YouTube and you can teach yourself that. It's not that difficult. No. Something that we always recommend for any kind of phobia or panic attacks is what we call spin kits. Spin kits are a, a bag filled with tricks. That, mm-hmm. like, sort of ways to get it's your, your magic bag your magic bag right it's like your way of grounding yourself by using your senses so you might have music relaxing music that you could yes. put on or a, I like to do um, when I'm going on a long drive I like to do an audio CD and yes. we do that too yes tape. and that can be very soothing helpful sucking on a peppermint or a lemon drop or a ginger drop those are all those flavors are very strong you're trying to bring yourself back into your body yeah you want to keep yourself from sort of fleeing the premises yes. in your own mind yeah so that having a strong peppermint in your mouth like an Altoid or whatever can really keep you in the moment and focused I have a lavender spray in my spin kit, so I just would, like spray it in the air, and then the whole it's the whole place around me smells like lavender, which is very soothing. One of our secret sisters always talks about how she always keeps ice packs with mm-hmm. her, or like frozen water bottles, yes. because the cold is also something that kind of grounds your body. She puts it against her neck. Yeah, or her... the cold. You put you can keep a washcloth in the free a wet washcloth in the freezer, and then as it melts, you can put it on your neck. Yes. And that's a really great, that's great for panic too, by the way. Yes, this is all great for panic. And, or a soft fabric. I have this really nice, soft, pink, feathery fabric that, yeah. I, that I have that I cut a little square out of. And I can just keep it in my lap and I sort of run my fingers along it if I'm feeling anxious. And it, it's kind of like petting a dog. <laughs> it's and really soft. Another thing you can do in your spin kit, because we're all about practical, is if you're going on a route where, you know, a lot of us have fear of routes we don't know. So instead of just relying on your phone GPS, which we all do, print out and really sort of start to get to know the route either in a map or just in a printout. And maybe even, you know, you can look up different places along the route to stop. Like, so you know, okay, if I drive 45 minutes, there's going to be a gas station or there's going to be so then a you're, diner. You're, you're, what you're doing is you're making segments as opposed to yes. one big long drive. Exactly. Basically, you're a first aid kit for anxiety. Yes, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we're very big into talking to ourselves here at the Anxiety Sisters. We, we are big believers in it. Um, science has shown that what your brain hears you saying is the most powerful uh, voice. And so saying things to yourself like, I can do this, I am okay. 
this too shall pass. Yeah. Breathe in, breathe out is a mm-hmm. good one to say to yourself. Ride the wave. Right. Those are all good. And then I have a couple of other ideas for people that I use. Okay. Okay, so this one is a little controversial because people are telling me that it's not legal everywhere. People are Abby. Abby is telling her that it's not legal <laughs> no, everywhere. No, no, no. Actually, <laughs> someone wrote in to the Anxiety Sisters, but I've been using it for, I used it for years. I actually don't use it anymore, but I used it for years, so I'm just telling you without any problem. When I felt like in a situation where I felt like I, I was getting out of control on a highway or you know, if it was the rain or whatever it was, what I would do is pull into the slow lane, which of course you want to drive in in the beginning anyway. So that's the right lane. That's the right (laughs) lane. And then I would put my hazards on. And the reason I did that is because I didn't want anyone honking at me. I wanted to be able to slow down without honking at me. Now, apparently you're really not supposed to use your hazards this way in most places. So you have to look up and see if it's legal in your state. Right, and I it wasn't legal in my state, but I did it anyway, and it seemed okay. I'm just letting you know that. But I understand that that's not the real way to use the hazard. So Abby suggested something else, which also makes sense, and yes. she said... Um, um, you know how you can get those student driver flags to, to stick on your window, or those magnets? Your uh-huh. car magnet, you can buy that says student driver, caution, yes. and you just stick it on the back of your bumper or on the side of your car or whatever, or in both places. Yeah. I always thought that that was a great idea because it alerts the people around you to expect you to be slow. Right. And to expect you to not make sudden moves and that kind of thing. And so they... To stay away a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So it gives you more breathing room. And, you know, I mean, I'm all for saying anxiety sister on board, but, you know. <laughs> Yeah, we make like a hazard yeah. flight with anxiety sister. We need to, we need to well, whenever we do decide to merchandise someday, that's what we should do is make like a yeah. hazard, a special hazard siren that says anxiety sister on board. Exactly, exactly. So hazard lights in those first few years really helped yeah. me a lot, yeah. whether they are legal or not. I'm just saying. Okay, we're with you. Um, we're all about like breaking the law here. Yeah. <laughs> because good. honestly, when I've, I can't tell you how many anxiety sisters I have counseled to take off their seatbelt during panic attacks in the car because that restraining. And of really... course, like she always counseled that. And then my husband <laughs> one day wasn't feeling well on a, and he was sitting in the, in the passenger seat, not even in the, not even in the driver's seat, and, and he wasn't feeling well. He was on a work trip, and he took off his seatbelt, and they were stopped, and he got a ticket for it. Okay, but my feeling is I'd rather get a ticket. I get feel it. like I'm going of to course, die. Of course, of <laughs> course. Well, we hope that we have given you some really useful information about driving phobias or via phobia. Um, I know, Mags, you wanted to just say a quick thing about bridges and tunnels, because we get a oh, lot yeah, we of, do. We do. A lot of people write into us or um, email us. So for bridges... Often, not always, people also are people who have fears of heights. So it makes sense that a bridge mm-hmm. would be really difficult for and you. It's claustrophobia for a tunnel then. And yes, for a tunnel, it's claustrophobia. With bridges, sometimes, like the George Washington Bridge in New Jersey, oh, you can actually, if you call ahead, they actually will have someone get in your car with you and drive you across the bridge. Believe really? Or not. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great information. Fact, yeah. You know what? I am not, I don't have any driving phobia, but I definitely don't like bridges. The treatment might be if you were with an exposure therapist would be, you know, going around and around on the bridge. Oh my gosh. Which would be really hard, but you can call. But you can find a small bridge to start. Yes, you can find a small, easier don't bridge. Don't start on the George Washington no, Bridge. No, no, because you'll get stuck on there. Yeah. It's a little hard. But you can, for some of the bigger bridges, you really can call ahead and see if the uh, um, transportation authority has anybody to help with that. 
Tunnels aren't easy for people, especially people with claustrophobia. Mm. So have your spin kit with you. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, have your spin kit with you. You can do it. Yeah. Luckily, there's not that many tunnels outside of the New York area. Yeah, so. uh, unless you live in a really mountainous region too, they tend oh, to have yeah, a lot like of the those Denver tunnels. Tunnel. The, yeah, is that the uh, Loveland yeah. tunnel? Yep. Yeah. True that. Yep. And so one day we always say one day we're either going to have a driving group or driving course <laughs> yeah. or something. We're going to do that at some point because uh, we re- it's unbelievable how many anxiety sisters respond to any time we bring up driving phobias or, so you know. you're definitely not alone in this phobia and we know how difficult it is and we're cheering for you if there's anything that we can do to help please email us or facebook us and we will do our best to point you toward resources that will be helpful to you i think that's it for our show yeah you can find us on facebook on instagram on twitter and on our website at www.anxietysisters.com as always if you have feedback especially compliments questions, ideas, please email us. And if you are enjoying the podcast, we would so appreciate your leaving us a review on either SoundCloud or iTunes so we can get the word out to even more Anxiety Sisters. And if you need a little bit of extra support, either around just your anxiety or around driving, anything you need extra support around, we have the most amazing group of women in our secret Facebook group. We do. They're just so incredibly supportive of each other and helpful and loving. They share their personal struggles and triumphs on a daily basis. Oh my God, it's it's just really the most amazing group of women. And And we're in there too, every day. We're in there too, and our secret Facebook group you can say anything you want about anyone because nobody outside our group can see any of your comments. Even They can't even see that you're in the group. Right. It's completely unsearchable because it is a secret Facebook group. So if you would like to join our secret Facebook group, there's a very nominal fee. Um, less than the cost of a latte. Much less. And you can reach out to us, abs and mags at anxietysisters.com and tell us you're interested in our secret Facebook group. And we will send you information on how to join. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, Anxiety Anxiety Sisters, sisters don't don't go go it alone. You've been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.